Hello, welcome to the podcast of Chesterfield Baptist Church. This morning's message is out of 1 Kings chapter 9, and the title of the message is, What is this, my brother? And this is about King Solomon and King Hiram, and I think you will enjoy it. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to 1 Kings chapter 9. 1 Kings chapter 9. Who's ready for that snow tomorrow? I said, if I wasn't going to work, if I wasn't driving to work, I mean, if I'm going to be at home all day, let it snow, let it snow. I mean, I'll build a snowman and we'll drink snow cream and do all that. We fed snow cream to the dog one time. That was a mistake dog didn't like it. He had an adverse reaction to it all over our kitchen floor. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, but going to work, no, I don't want to snow when I'd have to drive to work. But, uh, but first Kings chapter nine this morning. All right. If you have your places one last time, I'm going to ask you to stand in respect and reverence to the word of God. We're going to read first Kings chapter nine, beginning in verse number 10. Read down to verse number 13. And it came about at the end of 20 years in which Solomon had built two houses, the house of the Lord and the king's house. Hiram, king of Tyre, had supplied Solomon with the cedar and the cypress tender and gold according to all his desire. Then King Solomon gave Hiram 20 cities in the land of Galilee. So Hiram came out, came out from Tyre to see the cities which Solomon had given him, and they did not please him. And he said, what are these cities which you've given me, my brother? So they were called the land of Kabul to this day. I've entitled the message this morning, What is This? Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, thank you once again for all your many blessings, and thank you for giving the family of God a place where we can come together in corporate worship and, and join together and sing praises to you and listen to your word, be preached and taught and feel the Holy Spirit inside of our lives and uh, get a better, closer relationship to you, Lord, and know you more. Thank you once again for all you've given us. Be with the message today. Be with this service. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. When I was at Howes Anderson College, I had a friend. His name was Ryan Perez. Of course, uh, that college is in Hammond, Indiana, which is kind of a suburb of Chicago. Now, in our dorm rooms, we had about five or six guys to a dorm room. And uh, so he stayed in the room next door to ours, but he really didn't care for his roommates that much. So he always kind of stayed in our room. And he kind of like became another roommate for us. And me and him became very, very, very close friends. Even to this day, me and him are very close friends. And I'll tell you what I call him. I call him the whitest Mexican that I've ever met in my life. I'll tell you why. His skin is real light colored. He's as white as I am. But he's 100% Mexican. He doesn't know a lick of Spanish. I know more Spanish than he does. And I always used to make fun of him uh, because of that. And we'd laugh and kid around. The funny thing is, he married a girl. He married a white girl, blonde hair, blue eyes, speaks Spanish fluently because she was daughter of a, a, a missionary to Mexico. So she grew up in Mexico. So English is her second language. So we kid around and stuff like that. And uh, Ryan is actually from Los Angeles, California. And so one summer from college, I was like, why don't you come down with me and come stay a few weeks where, I, where I'm from? So I brought Ryan from Los Angeles, California. I brought him down to Macomb, Mississippi. And he come down to Macomb for a few weeks. And uh, it's just, he, the, it was just a big culture shock to him. First off, he thought it was hot in Los Angeles, but he had never experienced the humidity 
that we have down here in southeast Louisiana and southern Mississippi. He never experienced anything like that. He'd have to sit down and catch his breath because he just wasn't used to the humidity down here. Another thing is he made fun of the way I talked. Like, I know about y'all, but some people, they call their dad uh, dad or father or daddy or even pop or something like that. But I really didn't understand. I really didn't un catch this. But he pointed out, you call your dad Diddy. I'll call him Daddy. You call him Diddy. Hey, Diddy. How you doing, Diddy? And he just would make fun of me for calling my dad Diddy. And we was going to Lambert. We went to Lambert's on our vacation. And he asked me, how far away is, on Facebook, he still lives in Los Angeles. And he asked me, how far away is that from your house? I said, it's about four hours away from Diddy. And uh, so we'd laugh and kid around like that. But I remember on that, on that summer trip, um, we were going to go bail hay at my stepdad's house. You come, down to, you come down to the south, you come down to southern Mississippi around this area here, we're going to put you to work. Okay, it's not a free trip. So, I mean, we was out there and we was bailing hay and, and doing that. He said he'd never bailed hay in his life and just a good experience for him. Everybody needs to bail hay at least one time in their life. Okay. And so, but we were on the way to my stepdad and my mom's house to, uh, to bail the hay. And I said, listen, I got something special for you. I'm about to take you through the town that my mom lives in. It's a, it's, a, it's a really cool city. It's called Progress, Mississippi. And he said, why, why, why do they call it Progress? I said, you'll see. Get ready, because this is a really cool town. I really think you're going to dig it. So we pull up. We go, we're going through Progress. We pull up to the stop sign. We stop. We go on through the stop sign. Then I say, okay, that was it. You were there. You were just in Progress, Mississippi. And he says, What? The town's only got one stop sign. That's it. You got a stop sign, a shed over here, uh, a church over here, a fire department there through the stop sign, and that's it. That is Progress, Mississippi. And he'd never seen, he thought, he'd never seen a one-stop sign town before. And it just kind of blew his mind. We're going to talk this morning a story about two kings. Now, really, these are two kings, but also these are two Friends, the first we have is King Solomon. King Solomon is establishing his kingdom after his father David. He's building up the temple of God because David wasn't allowed to. And he's building up his palace. We have another king here, a king by the name of Hiram. Hiram was king of a city called Tyre. His people were called the Phoenicians. And where his city was located is what me and you would call modern-day Lebanon, Lebanon, which is north of Israel. And so that is where, that is where, he, uh, is where his city was. Now, Tyre was an island city, and it had two harbors. So because of this, a lot of the ancient trade world came through the harbors in this city. One of their main exports was dye that they used to dye clothes and, and fabric and other things like that. But one of the main things that this city was famous for was their lumber. All through the Word of God, you hear the phrase, the cedars of Lebanon. And the reason is because these timbers, is they were massive and they were huge. And they were the timbers that were used to build the house of God. You see, Hiram was a king. To, what, Hiram was a friend of David. Really good. Even though Hiram was a heathen, he was a very good friend to David the king. And so when David died, he committed, I'm going to be a friend to Solomon, his son. And he was a very good friend to Solomon as well. So when Solomon needed lumber to build the house of God and lumber to build his palace, he struck a deal with Hiram. He said, I'm going to feed your workers and, and I, I'm going to feed them and we're going to trade lands and we're going to trade gold. And they struck up some deals and some financial arrangements to get this lumber down to Israel to make this thing happen. 
And what they would do is they would take the massive lumbers and they would take the tree trunks and they would tie them together in these massive rafts and they would float these rafts down the coast to the coasts of Israel and then they would help take the lumbers to Jerusalem where they would build the temple and where they would build the palace of the king. And uh, the and for the reason for this is because the Phoenicians they were sailors by trade. So that's what they did. They lived on the sea. They were sailors by trade. So that's a little backstory between the background between these two kings, Hiram and Solomon. Hiram helped Solomon build the temple and build the palace for 20 years. It took seven years to build the temple. It took 13 years to build the palace. 20 years. And so at the end of 20 years, Solomon's like, I'm going to give you a gift. I'm going to give you a whole city. I'm going to give you one city for every year you helped me build the temple of God and the palace. Man, 20 cities? You're going to give me 20 cities? And I bet when Hiram heard that, he was very pleased at the hearing, man, 20 cities. I can't believe that Solomon's going to do this for me. And so he probably got his entourage together. You see, the cities that Solomon gave Hiram were on the border of Israel and Lebanon. And so he's like, look, I'm going to give you these cities. And Hiram's like, well, I'm going to go check them out. And so he, he got in there and, and he went on his way to go check out these cities. He got out there. He started looking at these cities. And the Bible says they did not please him. The Bible says he was not pleased. In fact, Hiram said, what are these cities you've given me, my brother? Hiram's like, man, what is this junk? What is this junk that you're trying to pass off onto me? He was so disappointed in Solomon's gift that he named the whole region Kabul. You know what Kabul means? It means good for nothing. It means good for absolutely nothing. That's what he named the entire region, good for nothing. Now, there's a couple of reasons why Hiram didn't like this city. One of the reasons is because as they were sailors by trade. What is a sailor going to do with farmland? What is a sailor going to do? You see, these cities were landlocked. They were farmland. They were for farmers and they were for herdsmen. Some of it was up in the mountains. What are they going to do with what are sailors going to do with landlocked land? In fact, Solomon did have some harbor towns he could have gave, he could have given Hiram, but he didn't. He gave him these kind of worthless landlocked cities. And that was another reason why Hiram didn't like the gift. He didn't like the gift because. They were run down. They were in disrepair. You see, these cities were on the border of Israel, and the Jews at that point didn't live in them yet. At that point, when Solomon gave them away, the Canaanites still lived in them. And they were just run down, ratty, impoverished, dirty, run-down pieces of one-stop-sign little towns that just didn't amount to a hill of beans. Now, this region, it, was also, it went by another name. This region was also called Galilee. Does that sound familiar? Man, this is the place where Jesus grew up. Do you remember they had some expressions when Jesus was coming up? One expression they had... It was kind of like, man, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? You know where Nazareth is? Nazareth, oh, dear Lord. Well, the invitation was coming on. Um, but uh, it was time for me to stop. But, uh, but, but, the, but, uh, but Nazareth, Nazareth is, is, in, uh, is in Galilee. Man, can any good thing come out of, of Nazareth? That's what people used to say. In fact, in John 7, 41, someone said, surely the Christ is not coming from Galilee, is he? So this region is not, it was, historically this region was not very impressive. 
not impressive in the late least. In fact, did you know Mark Twain visited Galilee when he visited the Holy Land? He wrote about his visits to some different cities in Galilee, and they all pretty much sound the same. So I'm going to read you one paragraph of what Mark Twain wrote about one of the cities that he visited when he visited Galilee. Mark Twain said, Magdala is not, which is just south of Nazareth, is not a beautiful place. It is thoroughly ugly and cramped, squalid, uncomfortable and filthy, just the style of city that have adorned the country since Adam's time. The streets of Magdala are anywhere from three to six feet wide and, re and reeking with uncleanliness. And he had stuff like that to say about every city he visited in Galilee. This, this is what you give me, my brother? This is the gift that, that Solomon Gave Hiram 20 dirty, smelly, impoverished little towns. Man, when you give somebody a bad gift, it's like you didn't give them a gift at all. In fact, it's almost like the gift was really an insult. When uh, Henry VIII said, thought he was going to invade France. The king of France sent Henry VIII the gift. And Henry VIII looked in there he, and the, the messenger gave the box to Henry VIII and said, my king said this is for someone who's going who's gonna, to uh, invade France. And Henry VIII opened up the gift and looked in it and it was tennis balls. And really what he was saying is you might as well play tennis because you're no good, at, no good at being a king, at invading my land. It was the gift was an insult, a gift that was good for nothing. I want to look at this story this morning because I want to examine some areas of gift giving, but also gift giving for our king. Did you know we give gifts to our king as well? So I want to look at some gift giving, uh, some gift giving out of this uh, story this morning. My first point this morning is called bad gifts. Bad gifts. So when me and you bring gifts to our king, are they good gifts or are they good for nothing gifts? Is your gift really an insult to God? Did you know that you can give God a gift and it could be an insult to him? Oh, well, God's God. He should like any gift that I give him. No, God said some gifts you give me are an insult. Don't believe me? Turn to Malachi chapter one. I want you to see this. Turn to Malachi chapter one for me this morning. Malachi chapter one. Some gifts can be an insult to, the, to, to, our, to our God. Give you just a second to get there. Malachi chapter one. We're going to begin reading in Malachi chapter 1 and verse number 6. I'm going to go ahead and start. You can just get there if you're not there already. Malachi chapter 1 and verse number 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. Then if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my respect, says the Lord of armies to you? But the priests who despise my name, but you say, how have we despised your name? God says to the children of Israel, you call me father, but you give me no honor. You call me master, but you give me no respect. You say I'm your God, but you dishonor me. You disrespect me. In fact, you despise me. And they asked him the question, what did we do? Hey man, what did these priests do to show God that they dishonored him and to show God that they disrespected him and to show God that they despised him? What exactly did these priests do? The priests didn't even know. The priest said, God, tell us what we did. What have we done to you? I mean, God, we go to church, we sacrifice, we pray, 
We tick off all the boxes, God. How are we despising you? How are we disrespecting you? How are we dishonoring you? Let's look in verse number 7. You are presenting defiled food upon my altar. But you say, how have we defiled you? In that you say, the table of the Lord is to be despised. And when you present a blind animal for sacrifice, is it not evil? Or when you present a lame or sick animal, is it not evil? We'll stop right there. That's what they were doing. They were offering blemished animals to God. They were giving God the lame. They were giving God the blind. They were giving God the sick. They were giving God the leftovers. Does that not sound like a modern Christian? Giving God the leftovers. That's all they were doing. They were given, uh, that's why God wouldn't accept their offering because they weren't giving God their absolute best. They were giving God whatever they had left over. And that's what modern Christians do today is we keep the best for ourselves and they give God whatever scraps we, we have left over. That's what we do. Verse 8, uh, continuing. So offer it to your governor. Would he be pleased with you or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of armies? He says, hey, would you give that to your governor? And they say, you say, no, you wouldn't. I mean, what if the governor of Louisiana came to your house? Well, maybe that's not a good illustration. Cousin John Bell's not coming over for supper. But uh, so maybe that's not, that's not a good illustration. You know what? People don't do this nowadays that much. But my mom does it. My sister does it. My mama did it. Who remembers the china cabinet? Remember the china cabinet? Man, the dishes, they were dishes. Oh, but you better not touch them and eat off of them. What you think? Eat off the china dishes? No, no, you don't, you don't eat off of, you don't eat off of those dishes. No, you don't. I never knew the purpose of having dishes that you never ate off of. And then I never really understood the concept of that. My, you know, um, uh, my mom still has her china cabinet, and so did my sister. I remember my mama had, my grandma both had china cabinets, and I guess it was for when the Queen of England, you never know when the Queen of England's going to stop by for a visit. You, you, you just, you never know, Okay. But see, here's the problem with Christians today. God stops by for a visit. We keep the china in the cabinet and we put chinette on the table. That's what modern Christians do. It reminds me of a story I heard of a pastor's wife. Lady in the church was, uh, was canning some vegetables. Well, she had canned a whole bunch, but this one little batch here, she had accidentally got sand in with the vegetables. So she put all the, all the, 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 the little, vet, the few cans of vegetables with sand in them, put them in a box, brought them to the church, came to the pastor's wife and said, I got sand in these. Would you like them? And then the pastor's wife, just as nice and as toothy smile as she could, said, no, ma'am, we don't like sand in our food either. But it, what a gift. What a gift that is, huh? Just, just given, just, just, just what's, what's left over. But, but, you know, that's exactly what we do to God. We give God whatever we don't want. We give God our second best, our third best, our fourth best, but we don't give him our first best. We were starting our missionary closet in the back. I went online and um, I was asking, I got to fix that. I was, uh, I was asking some different pastors in some churches. I was asking them, what are some things that you could put in a missionary closet that would be helpful? Because I wanted the items in our missionary closet to be helpful to missionaries for them. When they come in, I want the stuff to be useful. And uh, so uh, I got a lot of good suggestions but, you know, some pastors advised against it. They said, don't start a missionary closet. And I asked them why. 
Because here's their experience. Because missionary closets sometimes can turn into giving the missionary whatever you don't want closets. And they found that people were putting in these closets things that were outdated, things that were broken, things they didn't want anymore, ties from the 1970s. I mean, jokers that wide, you know, big old wide 70s ties and things like that and just stuff that people just didn't want anymore. And I've heard of uh, missionaries told me that they would go into some of these missionary closets and see this stuff and, you know, because they didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings that they would take something but it really was of no use to them. It really, really couldn't use it. Now, that's not our people. That's not our closet. Our, clo- our people put first-class stuff back here in this closet. Every missionary that I have brought back there has found something very good, very useful, and very helpful. Don't give God your leftovers. Don't do that. We hit on this last week. I don't mean to keep going back to it, but man, you can't talk about rejected offerings without talking about Cain and Abel. You really can't do that. And what I want to do is I want to talk about Cain and Abel again, but I want to look at it from a different perspective. Maybe a perspective we haven't looked at it before. Now, Abel brought a blood offering, and that was good and acceptable to God because it was a picture of who? It was a picture of Christ. That was one of the reasons why Abel's offering was accepted and Cain's offering was rejected. But I want to show you this morning, there's another difference between the offerings. I want to show you there's another difference between the offerings. Genesis 4.3. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord from the fruit of the ground. That's it. That's the only description that he did. He brought fruit. He brought fruit of the ground. There was nothing special about it. It didn't say that he went through his crops and he picked the biggest, picked the ripest, picked the, picked the best. It doesn't say any of that. It literally says he went outside and picked it up off the ground. It was good enough. You know, Cain probably had a more thorough screening process when he picked what he was going to have for supper that night. My stepdad used to have this little circle in the yard with bricks built up and had soil on the inside, and he used to grow tomatoes in it. And so what he would do is at night he would send me out to the tomato plants to pick some tomatoes, and I had to go through, and I found the biggest, reddest juiciest, ripest tomatoes, and all the other ones were good, but they weren't quite quite ready yet. And I would pick the best tomatoes for supper that night. So Cain probably had a more thorough screening process than he did uh, for his supper than he did from the offering that he gave the Lord, because the Bible says he just went and picked it up off the ground. But when it came to Abel's offering, Abel There was a little screening process that Abel's offering went through. Um, Let's look at that. The Bible says that Abel, verse 4, Abel on his part brought also an offering from the firstborn of his flock and from their fat portions. See, See, Abel had a little screening process that Cain didn't have. The Bible says... That he brought first, he brought the firstborn, which means he brought the first fruits. He brought the first fruits. But then it says, that was number one. Number two, it says he brought the fat. The fat was considered the most luxurious part of the animal. When my wife eats a steak, she likes a steak with not a lot of fat on it. It's okay, I still love her. Okay, I still love her, okay? But when I want a steak, I want the ribeye. I want that good marbling in there because fat is the flavor. It's the flavor of a good piece of meat. And I'm probably preaching this way because I'm smelling the food in the back right now. It's wafting in my nose and I'm getting hungry. But, you know, I want that good marbling in there. 
Can you see the difference here? While Cain just picked up off the ground with the first thing he saw, Abel's like, no, I got to give God my absolute best. It has to be first. It has to be best. And so it was more than just a blood offering versus a non-blood offering. It was the quality of the offering was different. How many times do us as Christians, we give half-heartedly to God and we toss God whatever we don't want. And quite honestly, a lot of the things we decide to toss God's way is really just an insult. God said in Malachi 1, he said, For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is feared among the nations. If we really believe that God is who he says he is, then we should give God our absolute best. Solomon gave a cheap gift to a king. Are you going to give a cheap gift to your king? Number two, let's talk about God's gifts. Listen, no one has treated me and you better than God has. And I'm going to give you some scripture to back that up. No one has treated me and you better than God has. No matter what happens in your life, no one's treated you better than God. James 1.17, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Every good thing you have in your life is because of God and not just physical things. We can think of a lot of good physical things, can't we? Man, our health and uh, we can pay our bills, and we got a car to ride in, and we got clothes, and we can thank God all day for physical things. When's the last time we thanked Him for spiritual things? Because He gives us spiritual things as well. You know, you have peace because of God. You have joy because of God. You have love because of God. You have contentment because of God. And the ultimate measure of God's goodness is measured on the scale of eternity. And you have salvation because of God. And you have a home in heaven because of God. And you don't have to fear death because of God. And you've got a, a street of gold waiting on you and a mansion in heaven. And you get to be with your Savior forever because of God. Don't tell me God's not good to you. Because He is. And no variation, that means he's never going to change. He'll always be good. Romans 8.32 He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Know what the highest proof of love that a father can give to you is their own child. That is the highest proof of love that a father could ever give another person is his own child. He gave his only begotten son over to the hands of men for a cruel death. And why did he do that? He paid for salvation for me and for you. And it was the most costly sacrifice he could ever pay because it was his only son. Don't tell me God's not good to you. Ephesians 1.3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, with, blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Like I said, he doesn't just give us physical blessings, he gives us spiritual blessings too. He gives us spiritual blessings too. If we only thank God for the physical blessings in our life, you know we're no better than the animals. We're no better than an animal because that's all an animal lives for. An animal lives to eat, sleep, entertain themselves, and reproduce. That's it. And if that's ever, all you ever thank God for, then you're no better than an animal. But the Bible says that we are made in the image of God and we have a higher purpose and we have much more to live for. But yet a lot of times we choose to live on the level of animals. And we never thank God for spiritual blessings in heavenly places because that's what we have. Look, don't only thank God for the physical stuff. Thank God for the spiritual stuff as well. 
God has given you more than Hiram ever gave Solomon. God has given you more than the gold of Tyre. God has given you more than the cedars of Lebanon. God has given you His only begotten Son on the cross. Every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's what He's done for us. So you know what He deserves? No less than our absolute best. He deserves no less than our absolute best. So let's talk about that. Number three this morning, we're going to talk about our gifts. Our gifts. What kind of gift will you give God? Will it be a worthy gift or will it be an insulting gift? Did you know that a person's gift is that a person's gift can be measured by their ability to give? Of their ability to give. Caleb goes outside and he picks up a dandelion. I used to give my mom dandelions all the time. But he picks up a dandelion and he, he, he brings it over to his mother. Oh, that's sweet. It's so precious. But now it's anniversary time. And I go, I go outside and pick up a dandelion. Here you go. It's not sweet and precious anymore, is it? It's insulting. I'm sleeping in the car that night. Okay. But the thing is, is like, why is it insulting for me to do it and not when he does it? Because I have the knowledge and ability to give more. That's why it's an insult. Because I have the knowledge and I have the ability to give more than he has to give. The quality of our gift is based on our ability to give. That's what was so insulting about Solomon's gift is Solomon could have absolutely, he could have wowed Hiram with a good gift, but instead he just gave him a throwaway gift. 1 Kings 10.21 says, Now all King Solomon's drinking utensils were of gold, and all the utensils of the house of the timber of Lebanon were pure gold. None was of silver. It was not considered of amounting to anything in the days of Solomon. The Bible says that every plate he ate off of, every fork and spoon that he used, every cup that he drank out of was made of absolute pure gold. The Bible says that there were so much gold in the time of Solomon that silver was worth almost nothing. Silver was almost worth nothing. The Bible says in 1 Kings 27, and the king made silver as common as stones in Jerusalem. If you could go outside and pick up a rock, that'd be just like going outside and finding a piece of silver. Silver was as had as much value as going outside and picking up a rock. That's how much gold there was. Verse 23 says that he was, had greater riches than all the other kings of the earth. Hiram had done so much for Solomon, and Solomon had the ability to give him such a great gift. He gave him so much to give him so much more, but he pawned off these little worthless towns. He could have wowed Hiram. But he didn't. And the sad truth is that us as Christians, we have the ability to give God so much more. We have the ability to give God so much more than we actually give God. But what do we do? What do we do, Christian? We find the cheapest, easiest way to serve God. We find the cheapest, easiest way to do the will of God and just get by. No effort, no thought, no cost, no sacrifice, cheap and easy. That's what we do for God. What are some ways that we can give insulting gifts to God? Well, let's take into consideration first our corporate worship. That's what this church service is right now. When we gather together in this place, this is considered our corporate worship. Man, you know what? What if I told you that the president of the United States was going to be here next week? President of the United States is going to be in this church next week. What if I told you that? 
would anything about your church experience change or would it stay exactly the same? Would you be more punctual? Would you sing louder? Would you be more involved in the music service? Would you pay more attention to the message? Um, don't, man, don't you know that if I told you that the president was going to be here next week that we'd have a full house? Don't you know that if I come on Facebook and I said, the president of the United States is going to be at Chesbro Baptist Church next week, we'd have to turn people away at the door. But somebody is going to be here next week that's more important than the president ever will be. Yeah. Our king. And if you act more different than the president than you will for the king, there's something wrong. Something wrong. We need to be doing our best for our king. But it's not just corporate worship, it's individual worship. Are you giving God the absolute best you can give him in your daily individual worship? Do you get up early, seek him first in the best part of your day? Or do you just give him what's left over? Man, after school is over, after work is over, after exercise is over, then I'll find a few drowsy moments to give to God. And we think that's a gift for God, and it's not. It's an insult. It's an insult to him. It's not a gift. Are you giving God your absolute best? Hey, are you giving him the firstlings? Are you giving him the first fruits like Abel did? Are you giving him the first part? That first 10% is his. Are you giving it to him? You know, this, if the story, you remember the story of the widow and the two little and the two cents? You know what that story taught us? That story taught us that the amount is less important than the fact that it's a worthy gift. The amount is not as important as the fact that it's a worthy gift. She gave two cents, and she gave absolutely everything she had. Now the Pharisees, they gave more monetary-wise, more value-wise, but for the Pharisee it was pocket change. So even though their gift was more monetarily, guess what? The widow gave everything she had. Preacher, you don't understand. It would be such a sacrifice for me to give 10% of my income to God. That's why he wants it. That's why he wants it. He wants it because it's a sacrifice to you. He wants it because he is worthy of a sacrifice. Now look, I don't preach on tithing that often. And the people that are here every week, you can attest to that. I don't, I don't preach on tithing all that often at all. And I have no clue who tithes in this church. Absolutely no clue. I have nothing to do with it. I have absolutely no clue. But here's what I want you to remember. We both, because I'm a tither too, we both need to remember the money's not ours. It doesn't belong to us. We are only stewards of it. Under the new covenant, everything we have belongs to God anyway. It all belongs to Him. Now look, and I can promise you this, I don't know what other churches do with their tithes and offerings, but this church gives it to spread the gospel. That's what this church does. That's what we do with the tithes and offerings here. Does anybody remember what Mary did? Mary take an, she took an alabaster vial and she broke it and anointed Jesus with it. And she wasn't criticized because her gift was too low. She was criticized because her gift was too much. She was criticized because it was too expensive, because she gave too much. They said this, 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 this perfume, it was a year's wage for a working man. How many, how much for, for poor people could we have fed with that? And Jesus said, you'll always have poor people, but you won't always have me. And Jesus said, he said, truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will be spoken of in memory of her. Jesus loved that gift 
Why? Because it was costly. Because it showed how much she loved the king. It was a gift worthy of a king. Now look, I'm not just talking about money this morning. I'm talking about money. I'm talking about your time. I'm talking about your effort. I'm talking about your talent. Does what you do and what you give and what you serve for the Lord, does it look like that alabaster vial or does it look like the cities of Kabul? What does your gift to God look like this morning? When was the last time you made a sacrifice to God? When was the last time we made a sacrifice to God? Not because uh, it was expected of us, not because we were obligated to, or because we were told to, but just because we wanted to. Just because you love Him. Just because you're thankful for what He's done for you. We go and read the story in 2 Samuel 23 where David is outside. He's on the run from the Philistines and he's outside and he says, man, what I wouldn't give for a drink of water from that, from that well in Bethlehem. And three of his mighty men heard it and they went down to the Philistines and they got to the well and they got the water and they brought it back to David. Why? They didn't do it because it was easy. They did it because it was hard. They did it because it was a gift worthy of a king. That's why they did it. They wanted to show their love. In September 1962, President John F. Kennedy made a speech in Houston, Texas. And he said these words. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. Because that challenge is one that we are willing to accept and one we are unwilling to postpone and one we intend to win. President Kennedy said, we're not going to the moon because it's easy. We're going precisely because it's hard. Because it's something worth doing in our lives. And that is the attitude Christians need to have with our service to the Lord. We don't serve the Lord because it's easy. We do it precisely because it's hard. Because it's the most important thing we can do with our lives. And because it's a worthy gift for a king. We don't organize shoebox stuff all year because it's easy. We do it because it's hard. So we can spread the gospel all over this world. We don't put on a VBS every year and ask for volunteers and put all this time and effort and money in a, into a vacation Bible school, even in the middle of a pandemic, because it's easy. It's anything but easy. We do it because it's hard. Because we want to reach boys and girls with the gospel and reach whole families for Christ. We're not going to go across that street this year and reach into that school. And we're not going to help the needs of those students and support those teachers and minister to those parents because it's easy to do. That's not why we're doing it. We're doing it because it's hard. Because the lives of the families and the community around us are wrapped up in those buildings across the street. And that's where our ministry needs to be. That's why we're doing it. Not because it's easy, but because it's hard. We don't support missionaries every month because it's easy. We've got a roof we need to pay for. We got bills we need to pay. Why do we do it? We do it because it's hard. And because we have a great commission that we have to fulfill. And that anything worthy of a king is worthy of us putting effort into. It's worthy of us sacrificing for. What today, Christian? Think about it right now. I'm almost done, but don't leave me just yet. Don't leave me just yet. Don't tune out just yet. Listen to what I'm about to say. What are you doing today? That's worthy of him. Are you doing just something easy? 
Are you doing something hard for him? Are you doing just to get by? You know, I'm reminded of Hebrews 11, 16. Hebrews 11, 16, you know, Hebrews 11 is talking about the hall of faith and all the great deeds of the people in the hall of faith. And it says, therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Is God ashamed to be called our God? Can God look at your service? Can God point to the way you worship? Can God point to your service? Can God point to the way you give? Can God point to the way you witness and say, I'm proud to be called their God? Or does he look at what you try to give to him and say, what is this you're giving me, my brother? What is this you're giving me? Do, do, do your gifts and your service, do they glorify the king or do they insult the king? You know, I'm not the best gift giver in the world, but I did hear something one time that helped me pick gifts for people. And when, you need, when you're picking a good gift, it takes two things, okay? And, and, and here's what it takes. Number one, it, it, it takes some thought. And number two, it takes some effort, And if you put some thought and effort into a gift, whoever you're giving it to is going to like it. You know, Hiram, we read in Chronicles that he ended up giving these cities back to God. I mean, back to Solomon. He gave them back. Eh, I don't want them. He ended up giving these cities back. When Solomon got these cities back, he ran the Canaanites out of them. They were in disrepair. He built them up. He allowed the Jews to move in. And, you know, even though the, the, the region never got out of that reputation of being run down, out of that area came God's greatest gift for us. And that was his son, Jesus. And if God can give that kind of gift to me and you, he deserves our very best. I'll leave you with this thought. Don't give God your second best. Don't give God whatever's left over. Don't, and I'm not just talking about church, but I'm talking about your individual worship throughout the week too. Don't schedule God around your life. You schedule your life around God. 